You know, I was mentioning the other day of I'm trying to catch up on the Ken Burns Muhammad Ali documentary series that's on PBS. Just fantastic what I've seen, and I can't wait for the other three parts. A four-parter, and Ken Burns joins us now. Ken, how are you? Hi, Ken. Good morning. Good morning. I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we had a wonderful uh, premiere and a second episode, and the third one's tonight, and the last one is tomorrow night, but you can get them all for free, streaming for weeks on uh, pbs.org uh, forward slash Ali, and um, look at it at your leisure. So as far as, I mean, you're, you, you've done such, you have such a great body of work. Uh, how would you compare making this documentary on Muhammad Ali as opposed to the Civil War or baseball, jazz? Did it, was it as arduous as that? It, it was as complicated as that in its own way. And it was as satisfying as anything I've ever done. I, really? I, the co-director for my daughter, Sarah Burns, and her husband, David McMahon, they wrote the script. It's just a deep dive into something that we think we're familiar with, this greatest of all boxers, but whose life is really a mirror of all the things that are going on in the second half of the, of the 20th century and are with us today about the nature of sports and society, the role of black athletes, the nature of black manhood and black masculinity, civil rights, now justice. Um, we are, you know, it's about, uh, you know, war and politics and faith and religion. I mean, everything is there. And we uncovered, we spent seven years, we uncovered footage that even his family hadn't seen. I had a Whoa. saying, oh, my, where did you get that picture of him? talking to me as a little baby. I mean, it's just really, really wonderful. Well, here's one for you, because we were talking the other day, they're doing something with Ozzy and Sharon Osbourne, and they're making like a two-hour thing. I go, how do you fit that whole story in two hours? And then you look at Muhammad Ali, what you're doing, and I know it's eight hours, and I know it's four nights, but I mean, really, Ken, let's be honest, you could do 16 hours. Oh, you could do 160 hours. We found hundreds of hours of footage of him just talking. And at times when he's talking in a way with a wisdom. We, we collected the best of it, but the reason why it took seven years is because we needed to distill all that material down into the four episodes. We'd originally start off thinking this would be three two-hour episodes, mm-hmm. and there was just so much material we had to change and move the goalposts a little bit. But boy, I think at the end, you just feel, you feel super satisfied, moved by this life. This man died the most beloved person on the planet. He did. And earlier in his life... He was the most, one of the most reviled people in America. So the film also details not just the fight, not just the personal spiritual journey, not just the personal life, but how you go from being reviled to beloved in such a spectacular fashion. And that needed all four of these episodes, I'll tell you that. And it's good to leave you wanting something. Hey, Ken, I, you know, like I mentioned, and I watched part of the first one, and I definitely will watch the entire thing. I'm so intrigued by this. But did you touch on, and I don't even know if the story's true or not, but we've heard about this, throwing the gold medal in the river. Is that a true story? No. Okay, no. it's not. It's, it's one of those apocryphal tales. You know, as he joins the Nation of Islam, as he refuses the uh, war in Vietnam, he won gold in light heavyweight division in uh, Rome in, in 1960. And there's been a lot of urban legends that that, that that happened. I think in large measure because some of the soldiers coming back from Vietnam threw their medals away in front of the U.S. Capitol when they, when, when they wouldn't uh-huh. be given hearing. And so, I, I, you know, we just couldn't prove it. None of the scholars could verify it. None of the family members could verify it. So 
we don't know where the metal is, but um, it's, um, I, I don't think that it happened. So it's very difficult for us to sort of promote something that may or may not have happened. You know what I mean? We're yeah. interested in what actually did. And in, in the case of somebody like Ali, lots of stuff attached to him that isn't true that you need to sort of set straight, or at least you have to make more complicated. Everything becomes kind of conventional wisdom and superficial knowledge and preconception, and, and you need to kind of, including your own, you need to kind of let that go and try to get at something essential about this amazing human being. Muhammad Ali, a new four-part documentary on PBS airing currently. Ken Burns is with us this morning. Ken, uh, Joe Frazier, Foreman, were a lot of his former uh, nemesis, his adversaries, were they were they cooperative in this? Because even at the end of his life, I mean, they loved him, and he was particularly hard on Joe Frazier. Yeah, Joe Frazier never forgave him, and yeah. Muhammad Ali felt worst about that. He he had basically, as one of our advisors said, the scholar Todd Boyd says on film, you know, he had used the language a white racist would use about a black man to describe his opponent, another black man. And and um, as Todd Boyd, this scholar says, you know, I, he said, I think in this instance, he just used his, his powers for evil instead of good, which sort of reminds you that, in fact, indeed, Muhammad Ali is a, a superhero, but not without super flaws as well. He understood that, apologized to Joe. By then, Joe was very, very bitter. But everybody else, uh, you know, Larry Holmes, who had been a, men, been, a, been a protege and then beat him in the ring, loves him, he's in the film. Uh, we didn't do Foreman, didn't need to because of the singularity of the, of the victory. Right. But we have Michael Pence, a former heavyweight sure. champion, who is embedded in each of our major fights that we cover to help us, those of us who aren't necessarily boxing fans, to understand not just the inside baseball, the strategy and tactics, but the drama, the psychology, the wills, the hearts that are at play, not only in a fight in particular, but within the rounds and between the rounds and what's going on. I mean, he's an incredibly great secret weapon addition uh, to the film. And we were able to interview a couple of his uh, wives and uh, two of his daughters, his brothers, some you know, friends, you know, all around to just give a sense of, of who he was. You know, you, speaking of which there, you just hit on my next question there, because obviously being married three times, he could have been a womanizer, I don't know. But drinking, uh, gambling, drugs, womanizing, is any any of that? Because you, you with yeah, uh, so, Ali so, in our culture, it's just the good, not, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. Well, one of the things we do is reveal that. He was married four times. Actually, four times, sorry. He was, unfaithful. He, was, he was serially unfaithful to the first uh, three wives, and he understood this at the end. He said, I fit my religion to fit my habits, and that was wrong, and he spent a lot of time atoning for that, apologizing, as I said, to Joe mm-hmm. Frazier, and also I think the other glaring flaw that he would admit uh, was that he had permitted, when the Nation of Islam expelled Malcolm X and ordered him, um, his, his, his Ali, who he who was friends with, and, and Malcolm X was a mentor to him, to cut him off, which he did. And the reward for that was getting the name Muhammad Ali. But, of course, it was only a little while later that the Nation of Islam assassinated um, Malcolm X. And, you know, you don't know whether this 22-year-old kid is terrified of, of the Nation of Islam or what. But it's a, it's a very complicated story that we don't shy away from these darker corners. And at the end of his life, Ali said, my biggest regret was that I had... Uh, cut off Malcolm because he was right about so many things. And Malcolm X, after being kind of very fiery, had adopted a much more ecumenical, peace-loving 
uh, version of both his religion and his politics that was into working with other people, not making other people the enemy. And so that's the way Muhammad Ali always was, regardless of what uh, particular group he was in at any time. And, and so, you know, one of the great things about him is his, his um, gravestone says, service to others is the rent you pay for your space in heaven. And, um, you know, he's got a big room. And I would assume he's buried in Louisville, right? Even though he finished his life, he was in southwest Michigan on that farm for years, decades. Yep, yep, and that's, uh, but but Louisville is where he's buried. Yep. Cemetery. Uh, the, the funeral is one of the most moving things, if you ever want to go just YouTube it's, or, or watch our film, the last episode of our film, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really moving moment. This, you know, segregated Jim Crow city into which he's born fully adopted him. You know what I, I find amazing? You can, and if you watch this, and I highly recommend it, PBS 8 to 10, and you still got two episodes left, and you could still watch it and can throw out the uh, email address there. What I thought was amazing, because I'm not, that wasn't my era, but it actually, the negativity started, Ken, you pointed out in the documentary, he had a style. He didn't follow along with what the white journalists wanted him to do. He danced around, and it really kind of He invented rope dope yeah, it kind of started early yeah. because he opened his mouth. He he had an opinion that he didn't, the yeah. the white journalist wanted black men to be this, and he wasn't that. That's right. It's exactly right. You hit the nail on the head. Look, I'll use a baseball metaphor. He's bragging. He's reciting poetry. He's predicting the round. He's not behaving uh, like boxers behave. He has a totally radical style. Uh, and, and he's certainly not behaving the way uh, these white writers think a black athlete should. Sure. One. When he beats Liston, he joins the Nation of Islam, strike two gets a new name, and then when he refuses induction on exactly. religious ground in the Vietnam War, that's strike three. So, I mean, yeah. he didn't stand a chance. He loses three and a half years at the height of his professional powers. It's a story that is so irresistible, and it is. Uh, you, can, you can stream it for free at pbs.org uh, slash Ali. Hey, Ken, before you go, another boxer that I'm fascinated with, and you've actually known a lot about this uh, individual. Have you done anything or plan on doing anything with Jack Johnson? I, I made a film in 2005 called Unforgivable Blackness, The Rise and Fall of Jack Johnson. And in fact, in the last moments of that film, a two-part, two, four-hour film, uh, you understand that Ali uh, is inspired by the story of Jack Johnson and someone, when he's sparring, will yell, ghost in the house, ghost in the house, meaning the ghost of Jack Johnson, another great boxer with similar styles and similar outspokenness uh, in the world. Uh, and then that scene repeats itself in the third episode of uh, of this film, in which he is screening some footage of Jack Johnson and suddenly realizes, oh, his story is mine, and that he has a similar style, and they start yelling, ghosts in the house. Well, I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch that. The big difference is, and you, yeah, you can get it from PBS, too. The big difference is, is that Jack Johnson was just for himself. Muhammad Ali was for everybody, and he brought along the people. When he escaped the specific gravity of the injustice that Americans visit on black people and achieve the kind of freedom he never forgot where he came from. It's it's just an amazing story. Wow, we're going to be watching PBS. Thank Muhammad you, Ali. Ken. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, guys.